Blog Talk Radio. Well, it's supposed to be starting. There it goes. Welcome to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news relating to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. To participate in today's program, our guest call in line is 646-716-4972. And now, here is your host of Lickin' on Lending, David Lickin'. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. Good to have you here. And after listening to it on my side, I hope it's coming through a little clearer there than it is on my side because it's, uh, we're doing this from Traverse City, Michigan, upper state, upstate, beautiful, pure Michigan. It is spectacular here. And uh, we're having some latency as it relates to when I press the button here and things start to add, start working. But uh, anyway, it's good to have you all with us. It is August 8th. And we are, again, broadcasting live from the Traverse City Resort and Spa Facility. Spectacular. Flying in and over these lakes was so amazing. I, I got to tell you, it was, it was really great. So we've got the full lineup. Good to have you all here with us. And I want to say this podcast is, again, as we say at the beginning of every pod, podcast, every program, this podcast broadcast is created by mortgage professionals, and it's for mortgage professionals. We're the proud recipient of the Innovation Award by Progress and Lending. Thank them very much. The hot topic today is on millennials, and it's going to be really fascinating, especially when we consider how our aging wor- uh, workforce is out there. We need to absolutely add to the millennials. Uh, uh, we have got to bring them into the workforce, and so it is really something that I have seen as a uh, need, and there is a great article that our guest today, Robert England, published in the Mortgage Banking Magazine from July of 2016. If you have not picked up this magazine and read specifically this article, you should read these magazines. It's going away. This legendary magazine is going away after October. It's hard to believe that the NDA is discontinuing it. It's such a successful publication, but it's going away. They're replacing it with more of a digital type thing. Uh, at least what I understand. But this article is entitled Millennials Recast the American Dream. It's written by Robert Stowe, England, and we have him on the broadcast in the Hot Topics segment talking about all of it. Tremendous. I can't wait to get there. It's good to have you all with us, listeners. Again, we're broadcasting here from Michigan. It is so much fun doing this podcast from cool places like this and these wonderful events. Michigan Mortgage Lenders event puts an excellent event. Wish you could be all up here enjoying this with us. Miss Jan Wetzel. I just miss Jan Wetzel being up here. She uh, She's retired now and Living in Florida, but uh, that's one of the ones I miss. But anyway, one of the people that's still out here doing a lot of great things for our industry, writing a lot, is a gentleman by the name of Robert Stowe England, and he is joining us on the podcast today. We're very excited to have him, and there's just so much to be talking about when it comes to millennials. I'll be giving a speech on that while we're there. Robert has been a freelance writer for years and has been writing for the NBA magazine. Gosh, Robert, how many years has it been now? You've been doing this for... Over a decade, have you not? Well, I actually started in 1988. Wow. So it's been, so. yeah. I started the year life. before Janet became editor, and I've worked all during her term. Yeah, well, you've been, you, one of the things, first of all, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Robert, that's a clunky way to get you introduced, but I also want to say that you wrote a book 
that is a classic. It's the Black Box Casino, How Wall Street's Risk Shadow Banking Crashed. Or they say, How Wall Street's Risky Shadow Banking Crashed the Global Finance System. It's a great book, and I understand that it is now being used in classrooms. It was so well written, and there's so much historical stuff, which really is a signature of you. You research, research things like few do. And we're talking about the 8,000-word article. I'm sure you had probably closer to ten to 15,000 words you could have put into this thing. But from the July 2016 Mortgage Banking Magazine of Real Estate Finance, Janet Hewitt is the uh, publisher, the editor, and is, uh, just does a fabulous job. Uh, and just so sad to see this magazine going away after the October issue. But it's good to have you here with us and hope to – in fact, we've got to get you and Janet on here before this thing all goes away and give her a tribute. She does such a fabulous job. It's good to have you here, Robert. Let's talk about this article a little bit. Millennials, it's a big, big topic. And I, you know, what's most interesting to me, the thing you start off on the first page of this article, well, it's still in the senior citizen print, in other words, the big, the big print part of the article, was is that now millennials have crossed over and exceeded the number of baby boomers alive on the planet. And uh, this happened last year. So that's a great place to start. That's pretty significant. Yes, they have now become Bang. the largest generation in American history. But what's really interesting is they're falling behind so many generations, Robert, on what they're doing, specifically homeowners. You know, why, why is it that they're falling behind? Cover some of the highlights. Well, of course, they came of age at a time when um, the economy, you know, has, we've had the housing bust, and then we've had the very slow recovery, and a lot of them stayed in school longer and, and didn't start work as soon as earlier generations. But now that many of them are working, they're earning less, so there are fewer job opportunities for them. In fact, uh, I learned through my research the median income of people under 35 is 20% lower now than it was 10 years ago for the same age group. That was one of the most startling uh, discoveries I made researching this. Well, that's, I wanted to start by going there. What is probably the most single biggest piece of information? I think we're actually going to get into it later on, but I want to toss the mic over uh, to Alice at this point, let her get in on this interview a bit. So, Alice? Hi. So, yes. Uh, so, along that same line, so, you know, in Detroit, we've had a big comeback in the urban area but with the young millennials moving in, but they're renting. So, we've got a fairly large segment of millennials want to prefer the urban centers. Uh, does this contribute to the low home ownership rate? It doesn't because, of course, in most uh, urban areas, the cost of real estate is too high for millennials to afford. And typically, the millennials who are living in urban areas are the ones who are college graduates and are earning more than the um, median income that millennials make. But what millennials have done is revived the 50 largest cities in the United States, their downtown areas. Uh, they have already had a huge impact in that way as renters. And in some cities, they are homeowners also in, in the downtown area. Not all of them, but the ones where it is affordable. Well, hi, Robert. Welcome to the show. This is Andy. Thanks for being on and providing that explanation. I've, I've you know, as the parent of millennials, I've 
been watching their behavior and um, interested to hear your thoughts on the house size issue. Why, why is it that there's this apparent trend where millennials are attracted to smaller homes than the prior generations? Well, I would say two factors. One, that their income is less, so if they buy a home, it's going to be smaller if they find one that's affordable. But there's also a different, uh, there's a shift in what uh, young people look for in life compared to earlier generations. And a lot of them prefer experience, gaining experiencing experiences, being part of a community, and being uh, close to their job. And all of these things uh, mean smaller, smaller homes. Uh, either they're living in an apartment or they are buying a smaller home if they, say, live in a near-end in, uh, suburb. So they want to have the money left over to do things like travel and other things uh, more so than earlier generations. And with a smaller income, that means a smaller home. So if they prioritize the other activities over necessarily having a being house poor, so to speak, as my generation used to do. Um, so in thinking well, about that, oh, oh, go ahead, Robert. Well, I was just going to say that they they saw you know the housing crash, and so they also tend to want to be conservative in their decisions, uh, financial decisions, and so buying a smaller house. That they know they can afford is part of that uh, caution, cautionary uh, approach to life that they have. Hmm. Well, they just must be smarter than me because I lived through the 80s crash and still bought another house <laughs> that went down in value eventually. Um, so, Robert, let's talk about this whole impact that millennials have on the home buying and construction markets because it, it, it seems that that you're seeing an impact, but if they're not buying homes yet or they're buying homes later then you know they're how are they impacting the market how is this how is their how is their behavior although they're big they're a huge group but t- tell me about how that's impacting the market well the impact is on the front end or the front line and that's why it's so big even though 17 only 17 percent of millennials actually have independent households and eight percent own own their own homes and they're 28 percent of the population. If you look at who bought a home in the last tw- uh, 12 months, they are the largest market segment. So they're 35% of the people who bought a home in the last 12 months uh, were in the millennial age range. So they haven't made an overall mark, but on the front lines, they're big already. Mm, good point. Thanks, Robert. That's fascinating, the fact that 35% of all homes purchased. And then I think in even certain markets, I was looking at some data, even numbers like Boston, it's even higher than that. So uh, I'm not sure if I'm quoting that, but it it was up as high as 70-some percent in some. So it really depends on the demographics of the markets you're in. But let's talk about new construction that's being built for millennials and millennials. where do you see it going, and what are the things that you learned? And is it going to be more affordable for them? Are they building smaller houses? What's, what's the whole deal with construction? Well, home construction, I mean, home builders are not building the share of uh, affordable homes that they used to. They are building move-up homes. And some millennials are buying those, by the way, that have waited longer to make their first home purchase. But whereas in the past, 
say 30% of new homes were considered affordable, it's less than 20% now. Um, so, you know, it, it's they're not building homes that millennials can afford by and large. Unless that's, they are that's they're in the older, older age range. If you look at, say, a, a millennial couple, each one has a college education and they're in their 30s and they're ready to have a family, you know, they're going to have a significant income. So they can buy... Some of them are buying the move-up homes, and they waited uh, to do that rather than buy earlier. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm seeing so the, that. Alan? Oh, so I was just going to say, so then the home builders, are are they falling, are they failing to build new homes then? I mean, so is it, if it's a move-up home, um, does that mean that the builders are accommodating millennials? How is that working? Are they being accused of failing to build properly for millennials? Or is that true? Well, um, I wouldn't put it quite that way. Um, they, home builders have to build a home that will make a profit. And because the cost of building new homes has risen so high, they you know, there are many places where they cannot even build a $200,000 home, even though the, I, I think uh, affordable homes are generally more like $150,000. Um, they, you know, they can't afford to build them because they can't build them and make a profit. And this is from the cost of regulation, which I believe now is, is in like $80,000 a house, according to uh, a study by the National Association of Home Builders. So I wouldn't say that they don't want to build these houses. Um, you know, investors, of course, fund these uh, these new construction projects, both a home for homeowners and for uh, renters. And even investors ha- are are more interested now in investing in rental properties, according to one economist I talked to because the pace of sales is so slow, it undermines the profitability of even a new construction that appears profitable at the beginning. If it takes too long to sell it, the cost of carrying it undermines the profitability. That's the case a lot in California right now. Well, so, so I'm going to switch, switch gears here just a little bit. And so you suggest that the nation's home ownership rate looks to decline despite an outlook that millennial households form formation is set to soar. Why is that? Well, there are quite a few factors. One of them is people have started, um, a lot of people want to live in the cities and they won't be able to afford to, to purchase in the city. So that reduces it in one respect. Incomes are lower than they were in the past. So a lot of them don't have the income to pay for the houses. And you see because of the there's both a low inventory, but there's a low, low demand at the same time right now. But even in this, if the balance is still, uh, there's more demand than uh, uh, inventory. And it's pushing up prices. It makes it harder for uh, millennials to afford either uh, rent, uh, buying a new home or, or an existing home. And then we have a shift in demographics. And the white non-Hispanic population is going to become a smaller percentage of the overall population. And that is a segment of the population with the highest uh, home ownership rates, which is 72, 71%, I think. And with a higher share of minorities in the millennial generation, I think it's about 46%, uh, 
those segments that historically had lower uh, home ownership rates in the low 40s. So as this generation comes on, uh, if those same rates prevail, then the overall um, home ownership rate will decline. And the other thing, the constant delay of buying eventually means they don't buy. So if they're getting a job later, getting married later, getting, uh, having children later, and sometimes not marrying at all and not having any children, um, then it reduces the demand for housing and the people who will become homeowners. Well, that's really interesting, Robert. So, so let me ask you another question then. Are high levels of college debt, which we see often now, is this debt load slowing down millennials on their you know, path to homeownership? Well, this is another factor that's holding them back because if you, say, compare now and 10 years ago, you see that a higher percentage of graduates have college debt, like they rose from 64 to 69%. <clears throat> the amount of debt they have has increased. And so, you know, having to pay that debt down with lower job opportunities, lower pay, it just makes it more difficult for them to become homeowners or even independent. We actually have the highest share of young people, people under 18 to 34, living at home in modern history when these data were collected. And that's another one of the statistics that I found quite alarming. This was found by Pew going over the American Consumer Survey from the Census Bureau. 32% of young people, 18 to 34, still live at home. And that's the highest percentage since the 1880s, and that's when they first started collecting wow. those data. Can, can I interject just a quick follow-on? I know we're running out of time. You know, when, when I was 18, my dad said, go to college or get out. And when you graduate from college, get out. And so come get your stuff. Do, were we too nice to our kids and being so open and letting them stay as long as they wanted? I mean, why is this happening now? Well, I think it's, you know, part of it is the – the children are willing to stay. Children wanted to go. I mean, young people wanted to go out on their own. They're willing to stay at home uh, now, and they, the jobs are not out there, and they're not paying that much. So I think both young people and the parents are seeing this as, <clears throat> as a necessity or as a way to help uh, their uh, children prepare you know, for the rest of their lives. A lot of times you see people staying at home, marrying later and saving money to be able to start out with an independent, uh, independent life. And they have to because of the financial uh, difficulty they face. Thanks, Robert. Yeah, and that's what, that. I, in fact, Andy, that's a great question, because I, you ask yourself, are we being too enabling as parents now? Andy, you and I have kids fairly close to the same age, and I'm turning 66 here in a few weeks, and I look at that, are we doing too much? Is it look like an England? And what I'm reading as I study your article and have done a lot more research, Pew Research, by the way, has got a phenomenal amount of information out there, excellent stuff, is it appears that it's, everyone recognizes the importance of financial stability. And that is a key driving factor. The parents are saying, rather have you get out, but when you do get out, I want to make sure you stay out and stay in a solid foundation. And aging baby boomers are going, I need to have a place to live maybe myself as we get older because we didn't pray. So we'll help you now. You can help us later. I wonder if that's – it's just fascinating dynamic. Any sense for that as we get ready to wrap this program up? 
Well, there is more, more multi-generational living, uh, if, that, that, you know, if, that's what, if that's what you're asking. Um, yeah. Yeah, you know, parents are seeing the difficulties that um, their children have had. I mean, I mean, each situation is, of course, going to be different. Some children can go, some young people can go out and be on their own immediately, and that's fine. But, you know, parents want to see their uh, sons and daughters succeed. And if this is a much, this is maybe the most difficult economic environment we've been in since the Great Depression, which none of us, uh, I, I believe, can live through. Um, All right. So they they're trying to be understanding, I would guess, and they do want uh, their their uh, daughter, sons and daughters to succeed. Yeah, I think that's that's, my guess. It, it seems to be that. Yeah, I'm gonna wrap it up with this final question. It says, "What then is the single?" Factor that could alter the course of home ownership rates for more for millennials. I think if you saw a dramatic increase in incomes, uh, if we were suddenly yeah. to get the economy on track, the economy has been growing very slowly. If it were to really take off, it would really drive home ownership higher because there's huge pent up demand, um, and it would give the millennials the confidence to go out and uh, buy a house if, if they've been too hesitant so far. But just having the yeah. income, it's that, yeah. I think it, that's the number one thing. Number one factor. I think it's also interesting that you point out in this article that this generation, the millennial generation, is actually growing in size. You go, how can that be? Weren't they already born? What was there was there. And it's because, as you point out in this article, there's a lot of immigration within that age group, and they're looking for opportunity. So the millennial population is actually growing through immigration. I'd love to get your final thoughts on that. So we, that's literally the last comment that we got to close the door on this podcast, but this program today. But your thoughts? Fascinating. Yes, there of the millennial generation will grow from continuing immigration, and a lot of immigration is younger people. And so they are facing more competition in a way for the jobs out there uh, as the time goes by, unless we see uh, some kind of boost in the economy. That's fascinating. This is a great article, folks. 8,000 words go into this thing. I think it's more than that. That's the number I wrote down in here. It's well-written. It is well-researched. Everything Robert England writes is extremely well-researched. I encourage you to go out and get his book. Uh, that is fascinating. Google it. There's a lot of great information. And then go back and read some of the other articles he's published there at the Mortgage Banking Magazine. It's just a wealth of stuff, and some of it is timeless. Robert, I want to say thank you so much for being a part of the broadcast today. The program today is really good to have you here, and uh, valuable information. And I'm just so grateful to have the privilege of gotten to know you and uh, looking forward to continuing that, uh, our relationship, and having you back with more and more articles and research that you're doing. Well, thank you very much. It's Good to been have a you. pleasure for me, too. I really enjoyed it. It's always fun to have you, and we we'll look forward to having you back. Again, folks, we've had as our guest Robert Stowe England, who wrote the article in the July publication of the Mortgage Banking Magazine. And the name of the article is absolutely a must-read. It's an article titled, Millennials Recast the American Dream. Lots of good stuff. We couldn't even begin to touch on it. I'll be talking about this here at the conference for those of you that are here, be sure to attend my session tomorrow morning at 845. Good to have you with us, everybody. Appreciate you tuning in and telling others about it. 
We're going to work our best. I think it's going to work out for Alex to come back next week and uh, be our primary hot topic. Really give us an update on the regulatory side of everything that's going on. Appreciate you being here with us, everybody. Have a great rest of the week, and we'll see you back here next week. There we go. Finally getting it around. Man, it's getting low on these buttons today. This has been Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin, of Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. Today's guests were Joe Farr from MBS Line, Andy Shell of Mortgage Banking Solutions, and Alice Alvey, President CMB of Mortgage U. Come by next week, and thank you for listening.